The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. that time back again on the sour hour brewing network i'm your host jay here in the lovely downtown Concord studios brewing network studios bevo still here hey bevo hi. hi she's waving with both hands she's waiting to go get some food hi kevin wanted to hear the show so he's using my headphones oh kevin screw you kevin hi kevin i hope you're not talking to me because i don't know what you're saying <laughs> kevin kevin can you relay this information to beef please Okay, we said hello, and then hello, we, yeah, hi, and then we described how she waved with both hands as if she was guiding in a jet airliner. You know, describing how you're waving with both hands, guiding. <laughs> this is great. This is the new way we're going to talk to Beef. Yeah, say Beef things and then narrate things to Kevin, <laughs> yeah. and then listen as it's very, Kevin is in the background of the microphone. It's, it's perfect. Things. She has Did you get that, Kevin? As a uh, airport worker, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she looks really good in an orange vest. Nice. <laughs> uh, that voice you hear is, uh, you know, I, I used to say tonight's guest, but now it's always like today. But that's just a fun <laughs> you, fact you for myself. You the, the lack of PM in this show. Uh, it helps. It makes it harder for poker to happen uh, after the show. That's for you sure. You know, sometimes if it's like three thirty p.m., it's like eh, I'm I going just home. Finished drinking coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's John Rally, Rally Farmhouse Ales in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, John. Hey there. Happy to have you and your wonderful beers. Uh, we're going to get into a few more of those in this uh, second part show in a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, just uh, wanted to let all you wonderful listeners know that if you're trying to be a part of the show you can contact us scott at the brewing network.com jay at the brewing network.com this is where we get most of our questions and we're always happy to hear from you guys thanks for all your wonderful emails that are usually quite complimentary and uh, even the ones that aren't we just we just throw them away so it <laughs> doesn't really matter <laughs> subscribe and leave feedback and we'll uh yeah we'll read it on the show unless it's you know laced with terrible rhetoric or something like that you know then we'll read it to our which moms. it usually is so yeah <laughs> naturally uh apple podcasts or wherever you get that kind of stuff cool let's pay off this beer let's do it this yeah is, uh, this is a good story scott it's fun yeah we did uh you know as we discussed on the last show um i got married a couple of months ago up in bellingham washington where my folks live and uh of course home to chuckanut our, our friends will and Mari kemper uh, mm. got beer for us and gave us a jockey box to use which was awesome but we needed a second jockey box because we had more than two beers on tap as scott is telling the story he's taken off his wedding ring i'm sorry yes <laughs> i don't know that was subconscious that was, that was weird. a weird I don't know. little subliminal thing <laughs> i don't know what I'm trying to tell myself here, but <laughs> the Bellingham Beer League was nice enough to uh, lend us a second jockey box, and when uh, my, when my dad Marty went and picked it up, the uh, the fellow who gave him the jockey box also gave him a bottle of mixed fermentation beer and said, hey, could you please have Jay and Scott do this beer on the show? Pretty cool. Yes, that was awesome. That is uh, Justin Mantello uh, from the Bellingham Beer League, and we have his unlabeled beer in front of us, but he did give us some notes. Is there a title on I those notes? notes? Oh, yeah. No, okay, John, no what title. do they say? Uh, there, are, there are no titles of any kind. 
I'll read it off if you guys want. Yes, please. Sure. So the um, the base is 37% Pilsner Malt, uh, 30% Vienna, 15% Munich, doesn't say one or two, 11% wheat, 3.5% each of aromatic and caravien. Um, he's got it hopped to 41 IBUs, oh, is that four? Four IBUs of Willamette, so pretty low. Um, he says barreled for four months, then nine pounds of nectarine for ten weeks. Yeah. Uh, doesn't say anything about the yeast. He also mentions at the bottom about half of these bottles have been gushers. So use, This one was, by the way. Use caution when opening with an exclamation point. Which I did not. <laughs> Jay had to like, go running for a towel. I like all the undertones of that. <laughs> no information about the yeast. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. No, it's That's, good. You know, yeast is 70% of a mixed culture fermentation beer, so. We assume it's mixed culture. We, yeah, I don't know. You, you, you said mixed culture. Yeah. I, I'm assuming also like an ass. I, yeah. I could be wrong. Well, no. No no information given on the yeast. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Okay, well, all right. Uh, well, but thanks for Thank you, Justin. sharing, Justin. It, you know, uh, it made it one piece. And Scott, you mentioned he wants honest feedback. Yeah, feedback. So, so and I, well, let me go first because I, I took the first sip of this uh, before I passed it to, along to these uh, professional gentlemen. And I was like, hey, you know, not this solid. Yeah, this tastes pretty mm-hmm. clean to me. I think at this point, if I'm not tasting THP, I'm so happy that I just assume it's clean. And this beer had none of that. So I was like, oh, this, this tasted pretty good to me. Sure. Uh, and then when Jay took the next sip and Jay said, mm, it's, it's not bad, but I get sulfur from it. From the aroma. From the Okay, from the, but not the, the flavor as much? No. I mm. can talk about that more. Oh, yeah, please. Sure. So, yeah, big kind of H2S aroma, which I guess is blowing off although it's still there it's enough to still be there it's common in stone fruit beers except i would say that will blow off if it's maybe your first smell of the beer maybe it's you as you either get used to it or it just volatilizes it's not there in your second either sip or smell of the beer this one's sticking around even though it's still going down which is a little bit of a surprise since it you know did gush out so that should blow off even more aroma. So I'd say there is this, a little bit of a sulfur issue with this beer. That said, I don't have really any other issues. It's, I think it's the, pretty good. Otherwise, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it at all. It's clean fermentation. There's no diacetyl, no THP. Carbonation is really nice. Yeah. There's definitely, like he said, some some H2S. And I don't know if he's boiled it long enough. He could be a no boil. We don't have the data to to know what what he's done. Yeah, there's a few things missing here. I don't know the batch size, so <laughs> sorry. I'm, I, I don't mean to, to, to mess with this guy. I, I, I like him. He's a nice guy. Um, I don't know. I, I just think he's okay. He's just okay. But yeah, nine pounds of nectarine for 10 weeks. What is, what's the batch size? Mm-hmm. You kind of need that X and Y to figure it out. Sure. Um, yeah, it's a good beer. Um, a lot of H2S. The, the fruit character is very good, Yes, I would say, also. So trying to evaluate it more in depth i you know drink it and this might for maybe people who don't either do a lot of judging or homebrew judging might seem a little off-putting but you can drink beer like you can plug your nose and taste the beer and it kind of gives you a a concept of it from just the taste perspective Jay did that during the break he was holding his nose and drinking it so and again, yeah, that's I, that sounds funny, yeah, yeah. but uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a good method. But that then way you don't smell it, sure. and then you can release as you're 
swallowing. I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, <laughs> Good enough. Don't clip that one out, Scott. No. <laughs> but um, so when the retronasal comes out, uh, I didn't. I didn't perceive a lot of sulfur. So that's. I think those are some good signs um, for the beer. Now, will it dissipate over time? I think this is one of those classic sour beer off flavor things where you're kind of fighting the the fruit flavor going down over time versus the sulfur going down over time, and it just gets you know. Yeah, you're going to lose the fruit no matter what over time. Yeah, which is which is you know one of the heartbreaking parts about making um re-fermented fruit sour beer sometimes that happens right and you just got to wait it out so you know that said i think it's fading as the beer sitting here on the table warming up Mm -hmm. um i don't seem to get as much in subsequent tastes or smells not really taste but now you said it was uh still there though stone fruit beers were particularly prone to it i'd say they have more sulfur you know on on balance, for do you, sure. Do you take specific steps with stone fruit additions to mitigate? Uh, I mean, the steps we take kind of apply to a lot of different off flavors. So we're all we're always adding either, if not fresh, active yeast to um, fruit refermentations. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of sugar to introduce to a beer that's you know, frankly, like pretty old. And even though yeah, you need to add yeast, I think that's kind of a more modern approach for sure. I think many people have done this over time, and I know. Guys like Casey have done this in the past and just hoped for the best. And mm-hmm. now they're not doing that. Just add yeast at bottling, and it'll it'll definitely help a lot with Ye- THP. Yeah, yeast at bottling for sure. But yeah. then even when even we're adding our then. fruit, because it's almost just like a new fermentation. Right. I mean, it is. But yeah, if you've got old barrel aged beer, there's not going to be a whole lot of yeast left in it. Right. It's not enough to assume. Oh, there's Brett in this, and it will chew through it. It's like I mean, if you really analyze that beer at that point like there's not a lot of cells and the ones that are, are pretty dormant and they're mostly dead at that they, point yeah they might be alive um and kind of evaluating the the life and death of brett under a microscope is also probably beyond most i'd say just say typical breweries even ones with a microscope so it's right. like that can be challenging sometimes brett looks all dead under a microscope and right. it's not sometimes I mean, you, yeah the viability is not a not something you can assume very easily. Yeah. All right. Well, that that's the rundown. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, Justin, very much for the jockey box and for giving us the beer, dude. We appreciate it very much. And, you know, as long as we're talking about old barrel-aged beer, let me do the second question from uh, Matt from Portland's email, which is in regards to that exactly. He said, I know you've covered barrel uh, storage extensively, but what about barrel recovery? He said, I have an old five-gallon whiskey barrel that I aged a few stouts in, but it's been sitting empty for a few years after I filled it up and left it with warm water and then discovered a white pellicle on the top. Is there a chance of recovery or is it just a brewery decoration go ahead john personally i would burn it uh <laughs> just use it for you know a nice evening out with your wife or your girlfriend you know get a little fire pit going <laughs> um yeah oak oak's a really nice burning wood mm-hmm. smells nice um I, I don't know maybe that's being a dick i'm sorry but um yeah you're, you're gonna have- burn your brewery too while you're at it no 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 i'm not i'm not going there I just think that it's not worth trying to recover something that's going to take a lot of work to try to fix. You know, an old barrel like that, years of being dry, is going to be a bitch to to seal up. I would say try to work on getting a little bit bigger barrel. You know, I think I've made it clear how I feel about five-gallon barrels. The bigger, the better. You know, that's why a lot of breweries use punchins. If you can do it, great. I know that's tough to tell a home brewer to go get a 130-gallon barrel. It's not really feasible. 
thirty gallon barrel is is not unreasonable. Um, even if you're brewing five gallon batches, you can fill that reasonably quick. You know, if you put your mind to it and brew a few times and mm-hmm. knock it out, um, it's a lot better than a five gallon barrel. Yeah, I'd agree. That one, it's just too far gone. I mean, I could give you a whole spiel on like how you could try to save it, but I don't, I just I actually don't want you to. So don't, don't try it. I'll also kind of give some alternatives. One of the great things about being a home brewer is you can you have a lot more flexibility to make kind of the best beer possible. So what I would be doing if I was a home brewer, I would be aging in class with bourbon soaked oak cubes. Like that's that's better in my opinion than a professional using a bourbon barrel. Bourbon barrels are a huge pain in the ass. They leak. They've been lit on fire from the inside as opposed to to lightly toasted like a wine barrel. They don't seal well. The staves are thinner. You can't climb on them. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to use bourbon barrels. More more variants from batch to batch as well. You know, if you're going to reuse that barrel as a home brewer, you're going to have to put... You're you're not going to have the same char. You're not going to have the same spirit character as you did for the last one. Why not just get a... You know, system going where, okay, I know I need to buy this many chips or this many cubes at this toast, soak them for a week and, you know. It's way cheaper than a barrel, too. How much does a, a pound of oak cubes cost? Yeah, and like I mean, the bourbon doesn't bucks, need to be three bucks. Doesn't need to be anything nope. super can, crazy or special. You can and just use some ghetto bourbon, um, you know, bottom shelf. It'll probably be fine. Decant the, the over-oaked bourbon off of the cubes afterwards or not, you know, whatever. And then you can blend it into your, the rest of your bourbon and could be nice, you know? I like ghetto bourbon. It's not two words you hear together very often. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now that, so that said, yeah, kind of following John's lead again, if you want to go bigger, you know, it's probably, the cheapest barrel you can get is not the smaller ones. The smaller ones are almost more expensive than the standard size. So if you want a 59-gallon wine barrel to do, you know, mix, mixed culture beer in your basement or whatever that's the cheapest kind i understand filling is the problem do it as a club fill it up like that same thing with the bourbon barrel get the 52 gallon one that's the cheapest one it's cheaper than the five gallon it's cheaper than the 30 gallon not not per gallon it's just cheaper overall yeah they they get you on the small barrels i think they mark them up accordingly sure so i'll just stay in glass or get the regular size yeah yeah glass is great you know until you break it yeah but Generally speaking, glass is a is a nice nice way to go. Or stainless yeah. if you can afford it. Sure. Have yeah. you guys ever known anybody who made their own barrels? I did meet a guy that met. He made his own barrels. Oh man, you want to talk about ghetto? <laughs> Holy shit! Well, I, well, I wonder. Like, you know, I was just looking at like, uh, oh, maybe I can make myself one of those cedar hot tubs, like the the circular cedar soaking tubs. Okay. And sure. I mean, it seemed too too complex, and I abandoned the idea. But it doesn't seem that different than just making your own wood fermentation vessel. So, what did the guy you met? What did so he do? So there was a guy somewhere in the central part of New Mexico. He was making barrels for a few people. Basically, a home brewer that was making barrels, and they were really long. They were probably, I don't know, five, four and a half to five feet long, and they were about the width of um, the diameter of a basketball. Hmm. So they are long more, and cylindrical. They look like a missile more than they looked like a barrel. Interesting. And yeah, I never got to try them or anything. Um, they just looked too weird to even <laughs> think about using. 
Well, I, um, I would imagine it'd be an interesting thing to experiment with. I mean, yeah, it, it depends on what you access to materials you have. Because you could, I wonder, like, what, what would you could start experimenting like different kinds of wood? You know, I mean, I, you know, oak age is a. Th- what does maple age taste like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. Maybe not. Maybe it's not good, but it would be like an interesting thing to experiment with if you're uh, a woodworking inclined. Sure. Yeah. Also, they're cheap to get and put into a carboy too, if you want. You know, there's plenty of maple. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. you can make cubes yeah, and throw yeah, yeah. them into glass, and you're sure, of course, it's way cheaper than trying to do barrels. <laughs> trying you know. to, you're trying to make a. I'm soak, thinking you're hobbyist make, here. You're trying you're, to make a tub. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, I, I, your passion is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that could be your uh, yeah. your brewery's look. Look, uh, what is it? Slogan. Slogan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The passion Hi, is palpable. I'm Scott from the Brewing Network. Our passion is palpable. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for the question. And uh, Thank you. remind me who that was again. Uh, that was Matt. Matt from oh, Matt, uh, Portland, yeah, Maine. Thanks, Thank you for the email, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And thanks to our other Matt, Dr. Lambic, who brings us all the questions on the show. Him and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out all the articles on that great site for a written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend your sour beer at home. Also, check out their new brewery, Mellow Mink. It's a brewery in Central Taproom in Central, Pe- Central <laughs> Pennsylvania. Check them out, Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. Indeed. I want to drink more Rowley beer. Let's do it. One more note on Justin's beer. Mm. The sulfur is now a lot gone for mm, me. Now that it's been sitting yeah. in our glass for a minute, yep. Yeah, it's going to be it's volatile, so it'll come off. I really can smell like the the clear picture of the nectarines now. Yeah, totally. I'm surprised at how much there was. Usually if there's that much to start... It's not going to volatilize. It's coming off. You know, it has been sitting for a while, but... Uh, it's a nice beer. It's really good. I mean, I those ne- the nectarine you character know. is just very, very yeah. good. Yeah, the fruit character is really nice. It's a, it's, a, it's a good example, other than the sulfur. Is there something he could do now, like if he has an existing inventory of bottles still? Aggressively pour it. Pour okay. it like you'd pour like a slow pour pills or something yep. like that. Just you dump know. it into the glass. Okay. Or get those funky things. Um, I'm not going to remember the name, but you put it into like a little glass decanter. It comes almost like to a unicorn uh, yeah, horn. I know what those are. With I a little hole in the end. And it just like you tilt it and it just has like a tiny small stream that comes out. We could probably look yeah, it up I've, in the break. I've, I've used it with uh, with like red wine. It aerates the wine as you pour it. Or it aerates it's whatever as you that, pour yeah. it. It's, yeah. It might be for wine initially, but yeah. I've seen those. We'll look at it. There's a name for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. But yeah, then yeah. let's uh, let's take a break and get yep. some more more let's, beer. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back on the sour hour. Sour Hour, Rally Farmhouse Ales, New Mexico, brand new Brewery of the Year winners at JBF, Gold, Silver, Bronze. What was the uh, the reaction amongst the the you know the staff and partners and like you know how'd you? I think everyone was pretty excited about <laughs> what happened. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone was upset. <laughs> okay, well, let me write that down. Hold on, understand. <laughs> uh, were they? Was everybody there? Um, so, I would say everyone in our brewing team was there. So the way it's set up is I have a partner who's a chef, so he cooks and he does the front of the house. Uh, he's basically the GM of the business. 
So we have a gastropub, full menu, uh, and he's really that's he's in charge of that. He also works with us, you know, on the logistics side of of of, of the beer, um, in terms of getting us bottles and purchasing and procurement of some stuff. Um, he, he's he's deeply involved with that. He's not really involved with the brewing, but you know, on a bottling day, he might come and help help do some bottling stuff like that. Um, he was there. All the brewers were there. So I've got two other guys that brew with me. One is is Wes. We've we've uh, made fun of him earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Wes has a, a good pedigree. He came from um, a number of breweries that you guys probably know. He worked at Dry Dock for a while. Uh, he worked at a Left Hand. He also worked at a Crooked Stave for for about a year. Um, he wanted less of a production environment, more of a collaborative brew pub type of environment so mm-hmm. we, we were lucky to get him he came came to work for us um i also have a part-time brewer tyler tyler king not the brewery tyler king <laughs> and i'll tell you guys a funny story we uh, you guys know wayne wambles right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so wayne has a thing he thinks tyler king is the tyler king <laughs> so at, you're, you're tyler king. yeah at rare beer this year i went up to say hi to to wayne i'm like wayne how you doing man and he's like hey is tyler here and like, yeah, Tyler's here. Hold on a sec. I grabbed Tyler, brought him over, and, and he didn't quite put it all together. He was looking at him, and he's like, oh, I haven't seen you since 2013 over in, you know, in Anaheim. How yeah. are you doing? He, 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 he thought it was him, but he he was confused at the same time. That's great. It was hilarious. That's awesome. So then we drank a bottle of Hunapu like a week later, and I took a picture of it. I sent it to to Wayne. I said, hey, Tyler's his eye. <laughs> So I, I love Wayne. He's fantastic. Oh, that's I, great. I, I, I hope he doesn't get mad that I'm fucking with him a little bit. No. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so Tyler has been with me since the beginning. Cool. Uh, he and I usually do the weekend kind of work. Uh, Wes does a lot of the weekday production work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more in charge of the core beers. And then Tyler and I brew a lot of the uh, the more fun stuff that we want to brew, the, the sour stuff. Well, so that's another question I want to ask you. I want a little bit of... Uh kind of tour of the brew. I mean, obviously we have you on, we're talking about farmhouse or mixed culture beers, things like that. You know, someone walks in to the brewery. What does it look like? What do they see? You mentioned brew pub. Give us, paint us a little picture. Okay. Cause I, you know, uh, we don't have to dive in too far to like the core beers and stuff, but you know, that's probably something that, you know, we weren't going to touch. So give us a little virtual so, tour of the brewery. You know, we don't have a really big spot. Um, we have a, a tap room. You come in. It's got 24 taps. Pretty long bar that we built out of um, old uh, railroad. Um, so it was oak from uh, railroad cars that we got from a, a guy in Denver. So what he does is he uh, he finds old railroad cars and he pulls the wood flooring off of them. And, I mean, these things are cool. Dirty. They're oh, yeah. nasty. They're, they've got years of grit and soot <laughs> all over them. But when they clean up, they clean up real nice. Hmm, nice. So we uh, we made a bar out of that. And um, I think there's probably like 16 seats at the bar. We've also got two uh, four-top tables that are on the opposite wall that are bolted in the wall. Not a huge tap room, but then we have an outside area, too. Hmm. So we rely heavily on that for for the overflow and we've got four really large 12 seat picnic tables out there made of cedar um it's got an overhang we're kind of in the process of winterizing it now so we're going to put some vinyl around it eventually we're going to put some garage doors there so we can use it full time without thinking about 
trying to winterize it every year, which is a major pain in the ass. Does it always snow? Um, yeah, Santa Fe is a four-season place. We get snow, we get rain. Um, we definitely have winter, winter months versus uh, summer months. Uh, the spring in Santa Fe is really windy. It's not it's not the best time of year there. So we want to have that sealed up so people aren't getting sandblasted when they're out there having their mm-hmm. shrimp and grits. <laughs> you know, it's just not cool to get sandblasted in general. Um, yeah, you've probably heard of things called haboobs. So yeah, that was in Isle of Lesbos. No, 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 that's, that's not the same. No, so not the, okay. There's a thing in the uh, the Middle East called a haboob. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a massive dust storm. It'll come through and it'll sandblast you. Um, You'll see a big cloud of of dust coming your way. Run! It's one of those oh times when you really just thank God you live in Saudi Arabia. Like this is gorgeous. I don't think they care much for them. Um, I saw one in Albuquerque. I've never just seen one in in Santa Fe, thankfully. But they, it could happen. You, you never know. Just got to be ready. Yeah, just got to be ready. Cool. Yeah. Uh, before we keep going on that, which which one of these am I going to try first? On? So so we've got two beers in front of us. One is the the, the bronze medal winner from GABF this year. It's called uh, Cote d'Or uh, Double Cerise. And so what that is is a, a mixed fermentation saison. It uses um, Pilsner raw wheat. Uh, I use a wheat from Arizona called Sonoran white wheat, oh. which is a heirloom wheat. Um, it's really nice. It's it's grown in a couple places in Arizona. The guys from Arizona Wilderness get it mm-hmm. from a place up near them, which is called. Um, it's it's escaping me right now. the The farm we get ours from is called BKW Farms. They're in uh, Marana, which is closer to Tucson, and they have uh, they have uh, quite a few acres of this. They grow every year. Cool. The problem is it's going up in price because everyone's using it. <laughs> so all the Tucson breweries, Pueblo Vida, they use it in their IPAs. I've I've seen it around quite a bit. Cool. Um, it's really tasty, though. That's ideal. I mean, that's yeah. how it should work, and that's how those farms grow. And, yeah, that's how they grow, and yeah. they're they're super kind to us. So nice. They they sell a weird package. They sell like a, a thirty pound box, hmm. so it's not the typical fifty uh, five pound bag. It's not quite re- ready to build for breweries. Not quite. <laughs> it's really they sell it on eBay too for like baking applications. Oh wow! So I think that's their main business, and then the breweries come in and. Buy it. Gotcha. So, what else is in this beer uh, outside of wheat? So, yeah, sorry, e- eBay, um, eBay wheat. Yeah, the eBay is the Norton White wheat. Um, it's got a little bit of Munich one. I think it's like five percent, and then it's got what else is in there? So, a little bit of flaked oats. Okay. So maybe five percent. It's cool. not too much. Um, this beer doesn't have a lot of hops. It's it, we use Styrian Goldings typically. It's in in the ten to fifteen ballpark. I actually have it written down there at 12 on this one. Uh, we ferment it with our house culture, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, a mix of three or four different brets. Uh, I think it's got uh, the, the French saison yeast and the Belgian saison yeast. Two different lactose. I don't use the plantarum in the house mix. Mm-hmm. It's got and Brevis. Okay. Um, and then I took some uh, lavender cuttings from my property. And I put them in some wort years ago. Yeah. And I, I started making just some straight up uh, smash beers with that. And when that got to a point where I liked it, then I mixed it into my, my lab cultures. Cool. And so... Do you I, get a distinct character from that? I think it adds a little bit to it, yeah. Okay. Um, it's definitely noticeable, especially for me, because I've, I've grown with it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I remember that flavor specifically. And it's, it's, it's in there. It's not as dominant as the other ones. 
uh, but there's a nice little little bready aftertaste, I think. You think it might not add, like, maybe to your palate that knows that flavor, it's re- recognizable, but to a palate that doesn't know it, it's just an, a sort of undefined layer of complexity? Yeah, I, Is that I, fair to say? That's kind of what I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not a, a true, like, spontaneous beer by any means. Um, but once I got to the point where I liked it, I banked it. Mm. So in the last episode, we talked about Jester King and, and the um, and the atrorubicite, like, dick swing. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that a little bit because at that point when I was homebrewing, I, I, I was talking to Jeff. He's like, yeah, why don't you just take our culture and try it? So I did. I, I took some drags and I, I grew them up and uh, I started making a couple batches of smash beers with his dregs and I, I, I I couldn't get it to work for me. Mm. His beer was, are those, those beers were really like diacetyl ridden and they took a really long time. You mean yours? No, his. His. His yeah. culture didn't work for me, so I threw it out. Yeah, and you know, I know a lot of people try drags and stuff. So I, sure. you know, the, the chemist in me was like, "Ah, oh, that's too variable. I'm not going to try that." So I, I, I made my own mm-hmm. uh, lab culture mix, and I tried to add a little bit of my own local microflora by doing the, the lavender cuttings. And you know, I'm, I'm real happy with where it's at now. Yeah, I'm not going to mess with it too much. Um, if I want to do it again, I could try something else. I, I just the drag thing is is uh, it's it's all over the map. I mean, mm-hmm. who who knows what you're going to get, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, we know plenty of people who are doing that. It's definitely good as a good as a component and a way to kind of fast forward complexity into your culture. But no, let's talk about this one, Scott. What do you what do you think about this beer? It's that. Uh, I don't have them very often, but I've mentioned it before when they're just the the perfect like vanilla cherry cream pie thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's cherry pie filling with the hit of vanilla and just like the the, the acidity level is just perfect. Yeah. This is like for my money, man. It just does not get any better than this. You nailed this beer. Well, thank Amazing. you. Amazing. It doesn't have vanilla. So it's not one of the ones that have actually added vanilla. Sure, and I, I think maybe my my palate is just reading the cherry pie filling as right. like cherry cream pie. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely cherry forward. I mean, this beer has two pounds per gallon of a mix of Montmorency and Bing cherries. Yeah. So I wanted to do like a sweet and sour kind of. It's wonderful. That's what that's what it tastes like. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, this beer was was aged for fifteen months in in Pinot Noir barrels. And so mm. when I did this beer, I tried to get a really fresh set of barrels that were just dumped from a, a winery in, in Albuquerque called Gruet. Mm-hmm. And they do Pinot. They do they do mostly like a, a sparkling wine type of product. Um, those don't typically see barrels, but they do – I think they do Chardonnay, and they also do uh, a local Pinot Noir. So I, I got the barrels right from them, put beer in it immediately beer that was ready to, to barrel age and then i left it there for a while nice many many cherry offerings that i have are they they tend to lean in the sort of like you know like brown brown ale base and not muddy is not the right word but they're they're they don't come across as as crisp and as like tart cherry pie this is a really specific thing and i almost never have cherry beers like it mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think you know, you're saying sort of the same thing, but a lot of different ways. And I'll just add on to it. I mean, this is this beer is a great beer. What's the best sour beer I've had in a long time? It's uh, amazing. Well, it's you. really good. It's just 
you know, I just drink it. I'm like, all right, first off, well, one of my favorite things is just nothing wrong. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it at all. And then you build some positivity on top of that. Very good expression of the cherry character. You get the the different depths. It's more than just like the first blush, you know. So what you're building on there, Scott, I think is correct. The base beer is very clean and good. Mm-hmm. Not too much or too little acid. Smells great. And then, you know, once you build all that together, I think my, one of my highest compliments for beers like this is just like, could I drink a pint of this? Oh, and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, can you hand ex- me the ball? Yeah, <laughs> it'd be exp- yeah, I want to work toward that. It'd be an expensive pint for Thank sure. You, but yeah, this is this is extremely good. It's terrific. Which one won the gold and which one won the bronze? So this one won the bronze. Oh, wow. Two That's beers were better than this? That's a shame. That's hard to imagine. Yeah, that one won, won the bronze. That was in the, the mixed... Uh, what was it? Uh, the Brett, Brett category. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what that's called. Mixed culture, culture Brett. Brett. Yeah. Uh, we thought it had the right amount of uh, Brett for that category, mm-hmm. and it, it allowed for fruit. So we yeah. we threw it in there because um, I didn't think it would do as well in like the Belgian sour, uh, the, the 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 lambic type of categories. Not yeah, maybe not quite the same fermentation profile for yeah, that. I but. don't think it's the right beer for that. Man, yeah, that's that's very very good. Bevo, this is one of those times where it's really a shame that you the whole acidity thing. I mean, if ever there was a time to sip past that, this beer is just uh, unbelievably good. It's great. Yeah, you ought to give it a sip at the break. She doesn't like uh, sour beer. She but... she used to, and I think she still does. But uh, started years, listening to the show. Yeah, after, like, right after Jay and I started doing this show, she's <laughs> got a, ne- a negative uh, connotation. <laughs> no, no, it's just something that happened since I had my daughter. Just. Change immediately. No, I immediately get heartburn. One sip, like it's yeah. just like the esophagus okay. can't yeah. handle it. Fair enough. Explo- it's not the vagina beer that. It's not. Try that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know that beer, right? Uh, yes, I would say I had. I've had it, but you had it. I've not had it. I haven't no. had it. No. <laughs> it's not really. Something. Oh, was it something like harvested from there yes. that made the? Yeah. Oh God, who made that? I don't remember. I don't remember who made it either. It's uh, it made its rounds on the internet. Did, did that get discussed on the on the session? Beef? Yeah, you're like, I'm oh, sure. too much. It's like, it's, like, a, it's the, like the beard beer. The yeast cultures. Were, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, was it ever tried? Was there any? I don't evidence? think it was ever tried okay. on air. All right. Not certainly not by me. Okay. <laughs> no transition. No transition out of this. But no. uh, <laughs> you know, as we've been talking about all the the different projects you guys have going on in the barrels, and we had the little bit of a virtual tour. Oh yeah. Sorry, what about we, we got a little sidetrack there? Con- continuing on, what is the scope of the mixed culture program? You know, what so what does that look like? So basically, I have two sets of fermentation areas. I have a uh, what I call a clean area, which is um, a 15-barrel conical and two 7-barrel conicals. They're actually outside. We have a bulkhead fitting that we use with uh, TC clamps on both sides that goes through the wall. Um, My my chiller is also outside. It does heating and chilling, so it's a a dual-stage type of um, unit. So in the wintertime, I can use it to heat. Summertime, I can use it to cool. Um, So all the, the beers that I need to pay my rent with our brewed outside so ipas we usually have one or two ipas on all the time um right now we have a double ipa and uh and a um our core ipa which is kind of an experimental ipa it changes as we get hops i don't have hop contracts mostly i try my best to try to have a fun new ipa all the time have you ventured into sour ipa at all i have not and i don't know if that's just me being a curmudgeon 
because it seems kind of like a stupid thing to me. I don't know. Jay, Jay will talk to you off here all about it. <laughs> will I? <laughs> I, I? I haven't done it. There's a couple breweries that have done it in our state. I know there's some hype with breweries like Hudson Valley or whatever they are that do beers like that. I've tried them. I don't really care for them. They're not easy to get right. I think even in that style, you could go a wide range. And, you know, ours is, I'd say, fairly unique. I mean, not like by ingredients or anything. It's just we do brew like a hazy IPA, and then we blend in 20% barrel-aged stock. So there's no quick souring component. Sounds like a nice way to do it. It is. It's good. And essentially, it's like barely sour so it's kind of just so like it's definitely approachable right i would say so like, like if, if they're going to be good it seems like this is a pretty good way to do it that's just a different way you know hudson valleys i think are different and then you know adding a bunch of ingredients is different we've done a few fruited versions but even that that's still 20 percent of the overall thing so so it's not aggressively sour it's it's an ip it's like very much ipa first and one of the fun things is we serve them both on tap side by side because a lot of people will try the sour ipa and be like that's not that's not sour. It's like, oh, we'll try it with the try IPA. Try against the regular like, IPA. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll I see the, the difference. You'll see the Delta. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, well that's not bad then. <clears throat> so anyway, your beers brewed outside pay the bills. They pay the bills. You know, you got to pay the rent, and that's fine. So inside we have, um, let's see, I think we have six IBC totes we use for the sour fermentations. Mm-hmm. And I use those mainly as primary fermenters, so I don't like them to be in there long. So they... You know, maybe up to 21 days, 30 days at the most, if we can't find a home for it quickly. Mm -hmm. And then we also have two 40-barrel oak fooders from Fooder Crafters. Nice. And so those are dedicated to two specific beers. I don't have those beers here today, but those I'm treating more as like a Solera. So I'll put put seven barrels in, take seven barrels out, um, and it's kind of a bulk aging vessel for... For those two beers. Did you have those from the beginning of the brewery? No, we just got those about a year ago, maybe. maybe a little less than a year ago. And I probably should have got a little smaller ones, but I I have I don't have a lot of space, so I went up. Right. And they, they're basically, like, that close to the ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah, Wes is the only one who can actually get up there and, and clean them, which is nice, because I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> Smart. Sorry, Wes. So, <laughs> yeah. no, that's why it gets paid the big bucks. Yeah. So when, when that Solera... Uh, you know, in and out is going. How do you guys find drift, or does the beer does the beer in there stay fairly consistent? Um, so far, so good. I haven't seen a whole lot. We haven't had so for a while. We we're just using them as a fermenter mm-hmm. um, and doing smaller batches in them. But now we're starting to fill them up. So I can't really say I have enough data to really answer that question perfectly yet. But so far, so good. Gotcha. How are we doing on time, Scott? I think we're good. We can take a break here shortly, yeah. but okay. we're good right now. Let's uh let's tease this beer and then take mm-hmm. a break. Have okay, a yeah, sounds good. So this the next beer we're gonna open right after this quick break is related to the beer we just opened. Yeah, so Tell the, the beer the next beer we're gonna drink is is also it's basically the same base beer, but we rack it on to the cherries that were used in the double cerise and reuse those. And I actually add mm. about eight pounds of pits. That I saved to this beer, where I don't have those in the in in the initial beer. Nice. What is the intent of the pit? So the pit will give you a, a, a different kind of character to the beer. Um, you'll get more of like a. If you use too much, you'll get a, like an amaretto quality, 
Um, I don't think we've approached that level with this beer. Um, but you'll definitely get more of like um, a nutty, earthy kind of quality that you don't get without the pits. Hmm. Yeah. So I know the Belgians use pits. Um, so the Belgians will crack the for Creek. They'll just crack the cherries, and so you'll leave the pit in. So you, you have pulp, you have pulp and pit. Yeah. Hmm. Jay, have you used pits? We haven't used cherry pits, but we use pits on a lot of our stone fruit beers. And but we'll, it, it'll depend on the season and the beer whether or not we. We've done a hundred percent pit beer. Um, you have, yeah. Oh, no kidding. It's called "That's the Pits." I think it might have been in <laughs> nice. this category, and you know, really, yeah. How did it do? Oh no, not <laughs> didn't did not medal. <laughs> we didn't. That beer didn't. didn't I get mean, entered. if this is a bronze, good luck in that category. Know, the the double cherry was the bronze. The, oh yeah. Okay. Right. Right. The redo we call it is not. I didn't enter that. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we actually entered it in Fobab, which is coming up. Nice. So judges at Fobab. Pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll taste that uh, and then wrap up the show right after a quick break. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Was just on the session last week, right, Beaver? Alvarado in the house. How does he get a liner? That just brings everyone else down, you know. <laughs> uh, welcome back. This is the Sour Hour, the now diminished Sour Hour. Party wave, Dave. Party wave. <laughs> uh, let's see. We got one more beer to try, and we're hearing a little bit about it before the break. Um, so reuse of the cherries added the pits. And what about, is there a difference between the two base beers? Same base beer, um, no, no different, um, just a different blend of barrels. Here, you want that? Yep, yeah. please. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. I was, no, you're now fine. Just, now I'm just focused. Let's on be quiet while Jay pours. So you yeah, can please. see it's um, it's quite different. Yeah, color very different. Yeah, there's very, very little cherry color. You know, it's a... Uh, still a pretty good amount. A little bit. I mean, it's peach. It's yeah, more like a peach looking beer or apricot looking beer. More peach probably. Yeah, but you know, the, mm. the 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 first use really strips a lot of the color out. And the bulk of the flavor. There's there's residual stuff there. Um, but it's definitely less of a cherry beer and more of the the kind of the skins, tannins from the skins, a little bit of the pit character comes through. I don't know that I would be able to pinpoint what fruit was in this if I didn't know. Would you, Jay? Would you guess cherry? Mm, let me think about it like that. Honestly, I don't think I would. Yeah, probably not. I, different kind of berry, like um, boysenberry, strawberry, more to me. I always say boysenberry is like the chicken of berries. Not a good way to sell it, but <laughs> tastes like chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, tastes like boysenberry. Yeah, boys tastes like everything. Generic berry flavor. Yep. Um, and then yeah, a little strawberry. A yeah. little bit of strawberry, maybe. It's definitely not the same beer as the first beer. 
and that's 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 cool. I like the dichotomy mm-hmm. between the two beers. Yeah. Yep. Um, we, run, we run kind of the same thing at uh, the Rare Barrel. We, I, I really enjoy our, our second-use fruit beers because usually there is this difference. Um, I'd say maybe our fruit beers are even, like, more intense than the double cherry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sometimes miss the the beer part of that. Right, because so, you're, you're focused so much on the fruit that exactly. you don't get the underlying beer as well. Yeah, and, it, you know, it doesn't work blanketly across, all, you know, every different type of fruit. Yeah, they're all going to be different. So I'm wondering what, you know, I don't know how many times you guys have done this, but just this my... the second year we've done this... Uh, Basically, back-to-back kind of beers. Gotcha. Did you do it with any other fruits? We've tried it with a couple other things. Uh, we tried a raspberry one. Uh, raspberries are weird, though. They get really stripped the first use. They're mm-hmm. almost white coming out of the of the tank when they're first first wow. used. So one of the, one of the things we do is we use some of them. We take a portion of it and try to use it for um, like a gelato that my partner makes. <laughs> Like he does, like a, a summertime gelato dish, like with uh, dry ice or liquid nitrogen, and if, yeah, the uh, the second use raspberries not so good. <laughs> so you know, I don't know if they really do a whole lot for the beer, just because they get so stripped. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're literally like they look like Walking Dead type of <laughs> raspberries when they're done. They're just white and, and gray and. And fairly nasty. They're spent. They're spent. Yeah. yeah so that one, absolutely spent. that one didn't work. What, what that else? one doesn't work. Um, so the cherry works really well. That's the one we've mm-hmm. had the best luck with. Uh, I think we tried it with um, peaches. I didn't bring that beer, but I made a beer that was uh, named uh, the Southern Gentleman. And what it was was a, a, a sour, a golden sour base, but instead of wheat, I used grits. Oh, interesting. And then I had five pounds per gallon of, of peach. Wow. It was a heavily peached beer. So we tried to use the peaches for another beer. And that worked okay. I don't think it was as good as this this combination. Right. Um, it was okay. Hmm. But the- that was more for my uncle. My uncle died from prostate cancer a couple years ago. Hmm. So I wanted to make a beer in his honor. And he was from he was from the South, from South Carolina. So I wanted to give him a prop. Props. Yeah. What, what, Prop. what did the grits do? The grits are actually quite tasty. There's a uh, there's a farm, uh, uh, an Indian farm near us that they grow corn, and they have a corn mill. So they grow blue corn. They have like a red corn, a pink corn. They have all these corns. It's great. Um, but they we we buy a lot of their white corn grits because we do a shrimp and grits dish, and then we also use it in, as as uh, an adjunct in our pancakes, mm-hmm. like a grit pancake. Nice. It's, it's really good. So we we have a bunch of the grits anyway. So we just threw them in the in a beer. It's I don't know if it's like a, a really detectable kind of thing. You know, wheat is definitely more of a flavor I can pick up. Corn is a little less. It doesn't give you like a DMS or anything like that kind of quality. It's just a little different base beer than you'd get if you used wheat or or spelt. You know, which is even softer than wheat. I agree. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of cool things you guys are doing with the sort of what I'm hearing, kitchen and uh, brewing collab, not just the workflow, but also the flavors. Yeah, we, we try to mix that up a little bit. Uh, it doesn't always work, but hey, at least we're trying. What do you think? Is there like, uh, you know, you mentioned some of your local providers. Do you think there's like a local flavor or local, you know, as we talked about Chester King, the sense of place. What do you feel like, you know, if you could describe your guys' sense of place, so, what would that be? 
I think uh, in New Mexico, it's a little different. People are like crazy about green chili. <laughs> you know, it's like per- pervasive. It's in everything. It's like in ice cream. It's. In, <laughs> I mean, I I don't particularly care for it in beer, so I haven't really done a lot with that. It's really great on a cheeseburger. Yeah. But it's not really great in, in your beer. There's been a few beers here and there that I've had that people have made with green chili that are okay. I imagine it's easy to have it come across like an off flavor if you're not careful. Oh, yeah. It can come off as like a bell pepper right. or green pepper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've probably had coffee beers that tasted like that exactly. before. And that's just not pleasant. Uh, the coffee guys tend to like it. They think it's actually cool. <laughs> sure. But the, the stout drinkers, they're like, oh, that's, you know. Bell pepper, not that's not correct. Right. I, I really, I, I don't know if we have like a, a signature sense of place type of flavor yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I, I, I'd like to say it's our culture, but I mean that's kind of lab driven. What we are doing now is we are we we got a cool ship coming, nice. uh, a copper cool ship. We're going to do it a little differently than a lot of guys. A lot of guys put a, a cool ship in a building, and you know, like the guard, they'll have a, a big fan blowing the microbes across the room. We're gonna. We we built a, a a small enough cool ship, like a seven barrel cool ship, that'll fit on a trailer, and we'll have a tote in front of it, and a pump, um, and we're gonna be able to go to places and do, and just like camp oh. out and inoculate beer overnight. Remote harvesting. Remote harvesting. <laughs> so I've I've done. I did a trip last year. I went to um, I went to brew with this guy um, in southern Arizona called Tombstone Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And we did a 15-barrel batch. We split it in half. We drove both batches to a winery in Wilcox, Arizona. Uh, the guy, you know, it was in the middle of the winter, so there wasn't a lot of green, anything. I mean, it was it was pretty cold by the time we got there. We didn't have a cool ship. So what we did was we took four freshly dumped Merlot barrels. We took the heads off. Mm-hmm. We put them back together. And this was in... You know, dark conditions with hardly any light. Um, he, he, we got a fire going, and we we're we we're drinking Cantillon and being idiots. And um, that, that we, sounds pretty smart to me. It was kind of fun. We we did the overnight inoculation, and I brought my half back to to Santa Fe. Um, this guy had a lot of wine too, so it was tough driving back the next day. Um, he, he, he broke out all of his, his really special wines that night besides nice. drinking a few bottles of Cantillon. Yeah. That was a tough drive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we got back to the brewery. I got back to the brewery. We racked it into a tote to ferment it. Um, we left it there for a little bit and then we racked it into some barrels. I also did a batch, uh, the year before that with a guy from Arizona called uh, 12 West Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. He brought his mobile cool ship up. He has a 10 barrel mobile cool ship. We, we did it very unmethod traditional. We basically took eight barrels of wort, threw it in the cool ship overnight, and then when it hit 110, we threw a bunch of his citrus because he has his citrus farm next door. We cut all the fruits in half. I think it was a mix of lemons and, and oranges. We floated them in the cool ship for another four or five hours. Nice. We racked that into a tote, fermented it, and then we racked that into barrels. And so I released a little bit of that, one barrel's worth, for our third anniversary. I wish I brought a bottle for you guys. That I, I, I filled the headspace of the barrel after, after we lost whatever that was with tangerines. Mm. Cut, like, quartered tangerines. And that beer came out really nice. But it's amazing. Nice. There's two different locations. One was super bready, 
and the one from southern Arizona really more lactic, huh. hmm. uh, pediococcus type of flavors, you know, a lot more sour. Do you attribute that to more the location where the recipe is similar enough that you could kind of make that comparison? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely location driven. Mm-hmm. Temperature uh, and temperature, how much wine you drank. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of variables there. Um, but it's it, it you know this is a thing I want to do now that we're going to have a cool ship. Yeah, a mobile cool ship. I can go out and and make wort at other breweries and kind of drive them to a cool spot. New Mexico has a lot of cool spots. Um, there's you know almost an infinite amount of camping and stuff we can do on the way home. Try to find you know the spot with the best the best microflora and, and go from there. Yeah, and then we'll have beer to blend and make make a whole new thing. So I'm hoping that will give us more of our sense of place than the lab cultures I currently have. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to do it. Very cool. So, you know, I think <laughs> with all this stuff, uh, you know, Scott and I slobbering over the beers and hearing about all of this cool stuff and all the cool ship stuff that's coming up, I think the natural question for a lot of people is where they can get your beer. I think, it, you know, as you're saying off air, it's mostly at your place, but I see your shirt, which looks like uh, maybe you guys have a club. We do have a club. It's called the Honor Society. Um, and this is, uh, I think we just finished our second year of this and I wouldn't say a year's. So you, you guys, I, I was a member of your club when I, before I opened way more organized than I am. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. Jay's staff is really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's tough to keep up sometimes. Um, you guys are doing a great job. My club is a little more free form. Organic, maybe I don't know what's the right word. But, That's a uh, nice way to say disorganized. It's, a, it's not quite disorganized, but it just takes me a long time to get. So I, you know, I, I so the way I started with my club was similar to like um, I don't remember what you guys were charging like three hundred a year for ten bottles, something like that. Mm-hmm. Down to two hundred now for eight bottles. Okay, so we did the same thing more or less. Yeah, we did. We did like a um, our first year we did uh, a pair of glasses, I think, with our logo on them. I think you got a. We did a bag, and actually, you gave me the the custom Earth promos uh, <laughs> recommendation. I used them for a bag. They, they were great. Thank you. Nice. And then we did five different beers, two bottles of each, for three hundred bucks. Um, I think the market has changed quite a bit, and people aren't joining the clubs that are more expensive. They're joining like clubs that are are cheaper. That you get to you basically are getting the right to buy beer. So this year I'm going to do it like that. I'm going to do a $75 charge. You're going to get a, two, a pair of glasses. We're going to do a party uh, where we close down the brewery and we'll, we'll we'll get it catered. People can come and do a big bottle share because it'll be a private event. We'll close close everything down. We did that last year and it was a success. Except for we did it in the worst time of the year. It was like president's day weekend and it was minus like 40 degrees out it was wow <laughs> it was the coldest day of the year oh, and we had this party and people came up from texas and and arizona and, and oh, poor people froze their fucking balls off <laughs> i feel bad i don't want to do that again i want to have the party but we'll have it in june or something when it's a little more tolerable you're like guys just wait for the beer to warm before you taste it <laughs> not gonna happen. Uh, that was that was a tough night people were there were troopers they were hanging out drinking in the super cold, I was like, this is not good. <laughs> Nobody died, so we're okay. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think our club um, – so basically the last period ended already. 
I extended it to the end of the years because you give people like a ten percent discount all year, mm-hmm. so they can come in get get a deal on their their meals and, and beers and stuff like that. Um, plus, it, it takes a while to get people to pick up their beer. Sure, especially when they haven't when they paid up front for it. You know, I think they're more motivated to pick it up if they just paid for it more recently. I, I don't know if that's speculative or what, but I have a hard time getting people to actually get their beer. You had that kind of too, didn't you, Jay? Like things sitting around for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like a warehouse at some time. At some points, like, oh, come get the beer. So, I mean, I have to like kind of push people, like, hey, let's do this. So, I gave everyone to the end of the year in the current club, pick up the beer after January thirty or after December thirty first. It's mine. I'm keeping it. <laughs> I'm selling it. It's yeah. going on. It's going on our bottle. You got a hard out. I got a hard out, and that's that's going to happen this year. But after that. And probably before that, I'm going to give everyone that's in the club now the first right of refusal. Mm-hmm. If you want to join the club again, you've got it. You're in. After that, I'm going to open it up to the public. Um, so, yeah, check us out on Facebook, Instagram. I think we'll probably put a post up there. But we do most of our posts on Facebook awesome. just because that's pretty pretty common in New Mexico to use Facebook. And, yeah, as you mentioned, you do have some members from out of state, so don't let that stand we, in your way. No, no, absolutely. We, we do proxies. If, if anyone needs a proxy, we can probably set it up. Um, we're not, we want people to have our beer. You know, I, I don't want to try to put up roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of places do, but a lot of places have to. Right. You know, sure. I'm not a side project. I don't have like people like knocking at the door of, at all hours, like, I want your beer now. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pretty <laughs> low in the hype, hype list, you know. Well, once you're on this, once you're yeah. on the sour hour, the episode drops. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Rocket, rocket ship to the room, baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know, but. I, I just want people to be able to get the beer. Awesome. Should, should we end with the question? Let's do it. So, John, what do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is? The biggest mistake in sour beer making is probably THP, if I had to guess, right right off the bat. That mm-hmm. does seem to be the case in recent times, doesn't in it? In recent yeah. times, there's a lot of THP, and a lot of that is process-oriented, I think. It's not fermentation-driven. It's, I think... My opinion, I, I don't have like hard data to support this, but I think you make a, a bad transfer, you get THP. Keep oxygen out. Try to be gentle. Push the beer with CO2. Uh, don't use uh, pumps that will shear your beer and and make it difficult for you to, to get rid of the THP. Because, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've seen it. It happens all the time. You make a bad transfer, boom, your beer is full of THP. Yeah. It's unpleasant. It's not good for anyone. And, you know, the cool thing is I think the sour beer guys are ahead of the game with THP. The wine guys don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's a big resurgence and, or push towards natural wines. You'll see more Britannomyces in wine. You know, in the past, it's never happened. But now, or maybe it happened well in the past. But then production quality went up. Now people are moving back into bread and wine. You'll see more THP. They don't. They don't. They don't understand it as well as we do. I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I think. And the classic, you know, knowing is half the battle. Yes, you can. You still got to deal with it. Yeah, I think it, just finding out that it exists and what it is is the biggest hurdle for most people out there. I would say, you know, absolutely. Um, so I judged GABF last year with a master cicerone, and we did a sour flight. Cool. That can only be a few people. There right, wasn't. Wasn't that. too many. It wasn't. <laughs> Nicole, it wasn't Nicole. It was a woman from Canada. I don't remember her name. Um, but she had never heard of THP. 
Yeah. So when we started talking about it at the table, what? yeah, she, I was she was she was almost to the point of crying. She was so upset because she had never heard of it, and she's like, "It's not in our training." Wow! Like it's one of those things you have to learn it on your own. It's you're going to experience it. In some way or another, if you're brewing sour beer. Okay. I mean, it seems like it would only be a matter of time until Cicerone adds that, right? Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, it's, there's, you, there's you, no shame. You know, it's like we're all learning about it yeah, there's at the same time. Shame. And I, I, a similar story where I was at CBC and there was a Brett panel and I asked them, a, you know, a question about THP. Not like, do you know what it is or anything like that? But just like, how are you guys seeing it, you know, develop in these beers and blah, blah, and. I think there was like not a single person on the panel who wow. knew what I was talking about. Mm. Good, really good panel too. But yeah, I think so. Even there's, so, there's no shame. No um, shame at all. But just get you know, try and get yeah, the word no, out. No, no shame at all. I, I didn't mean it like that. I, I, there's all I meant- no shame at all, Scott. <laughs> Vivo's nodding well, feverishly. There's shame, shame in some ways or another, but maybe not in, <laughs> in this in learning about sour beer. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, give a, yeah, a yeah. shout out to the uh, Milk the Funk guys. Because that's a really great resource for for people to go in and, and check the um, the wiki. They have mm-hmm. they have wikis on almost everything, and they're always up to date, and they're constantly being updated. So if you need mostly with notes from the show, but keep going. No, mostly, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not trying I'm to. Just, no, I'm teasing. I'm, not, I'm definitely not trying to to like bring this down at all. But that's a really good resource. They're, they're, friend, yeah. they're friends. Yeah. They're, they're good friends of ours, and they've come on the show. And it's nice. been, yeah, it's they're been, great. Yeah, awesome resource. There's also, you know, it's just different. I've said this many times. Different resources. He was doing the air quotes thing. Friends. Friends. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we We're all have friends. Deep, deep rivalry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, no rivalry. I did, if there was a rivalry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, if you guys de- like this show, not. check out a real resource, Milk the Funk. Hey, no, they, I'm, they, I'm, they have I'm a podcast now too, and they'll learn that podcast. You know, it's a different type of resource, as I've said before. I think on the air and definitely off the air. But this is, I think, a great area to you know get to know new brewers. That information gets out, um, and then also just like throw out some ideas, and almost like TED Talks ish. Like, hey, let's talk about this. Maybe we don't. If there's a lot of like floating of new topics, the wiki is you know not the place for that all the time but it's for the like definitive go back and it's a good resource get, get regardless. the answer get this specific answer as quickly as possible for yeah, sure you, just like you need to you need to look up the ta calculator from the eccentric beer keeper or whatever that beekeeper. Yeah. boom it's right there it you know f- two minutes yeah it's so awesome. it's really good fast you know it you know sometimes it takes a week to two weeks to answer a question you know. Better than this show. Sometimes it's like a year. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I was actually trying to give you a prop, but um, <laughs> regardless, I, I, if you guys have conflicts with them, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. No, that no, we're no. we're just joking. Okay. Good. Good. But yeah, I, I like that resource. Like for fast information, boom, look it up. It's there. Cool. We'll edit all that out. Yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right, we are we set? Yeah, we are. John, thank you so much for coming out. Thank today. you guys it's for having great. me. It means a lot to be invited here, and I, I, I really appreciate it. The beers are wonderful, brother. Awesome thank beers, you for yeah. awesome, awesome company. So thanks so much. Definitely go uh, check them out when you're in Santa Fe, or sign up. I guess it'll be this time next year for the club. Um, it'll be by the, by the end of the year. We'll get it up. Awesome. So check Facebook. Be us got sponsors, fans. Thank you. Until you're welcome. Next time. Stay sour.
then you can release as you're swallowing. Your passion is palpable.